Welcome to An Honorable Profession, a podcast giving America hope since 2018. I'm Ryan Coonerty. Along with Debbie Cox Bolton of the New Deal, I'm lucky enough to be your co-host. An Honorable Profession is a New Deal Leaders podcast. The New Deal is an organization that supports the next generation of American leaders. From attorneys generals, to state senators, to mayors, to school board members, these are the people that are pushing policies and politics that will respond to climate change, rebuild our economy, address racial injustice, and restore our democracy. These are incredibly talented people who have dedicated themselves to public service when their country and their communities need it the most. Check out NewDealLeaders.org to see what I'm talking about. I'm your co-host, Debbie Cox Bolton, and today we continue with our special Freedoms at Stake election series with Ellen Kurz, founder and president of iVote. Now in their 10th year, iVote works to elect pro-voting secretaries of state and enact pro-voting reform. I talked with Ellen about the critical role secretaries of state play in our democracy, what it looks like if an election denier should win office, and the battleground states iVote is prioritizing. We also talked about how low information and disinformation are affecting these races across the country and about what measures like automatic voter registration and early voting can help ensure that every eligible citizen is able to vote. All right, Ellen Kurz, welcome to An Honorable Profession. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. So many eyes are on state and local races in general and secretaries of state races in particular, but maybe just starting with, for our audience's knowledge, you are, as I mentioned in the intro, president of iVote. Can you just tell us a little bit about what iVote does? Yes, I'm the founder and president of iVote, which is a national organization that runs campaigns for voting rights. So Our particular wheelhouse of expertise has been running and winning Secretary of State races. We'll be a decade old, actually, in this winter. And also working on measures, most importantly, like automatic voter registration, passing that, that increase participation in elections. When we formed in 2013-14, We wanted to go on the offense for measures and leaders that supported the idea that what if everyone voted, that every eligible citizen should be able to vote. We base all our strategy and work around effective leaders and effective reforms in voting that we can run campaigns for that would make a change in the country. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to come back to the point that you just made about founding this a decade ago, when for many people, this is something that they're more recently focused on. But I want to start with a a different question, which is what should people understand about secretaries of states in terms of what they do and why it's important? So I could take up the whole half an hour with that, but I won't. Fair enough. So secretaries of state oversee elections, but they have authority to do things if they're not doing it the right way, like purge registration rolls, or they have authority over certain things that really impact how many people get to vote, the registration rolls in particular, but also all sorts of minutia, like 
how many machines are placed in how many districts, whether or not they're going to promote and push all sorts of these reforms. Like, for instance, in the pandemic, how many drop boxes, secure drop boxes got put around. There's all sorts of what seems like boringly administrative jobs, but really are philosophical and strategic about whether you see your job as a person who is just trying to make sure everyone can vote, every eligible citizen, or what we've seen in the past decade, which is people who see their job as deciding who gets to vote. Mm -hmm. And we just strongly believe the country has a participation problem in elections to begin with. We don't have a high rate of participation in elections. On local levels, sometimes it can dip down into the teens, a percentage of eligible voters that vote. In midterms, it's bound to be like in the 40s percent of eligible voters, and that's only eligible voters. If you look at all eligible citizens and how many people actually vote, it's really dismal. And we don't need extra layers to make it harder to vote or partisan players coming in and trying to decide which voters get to vote, because that is exacerbating a problem that our country has to begin with. We have a problem that not enough people vote, and we should all be working together to increase the amount of people that vote. Yeah. For all of the uh, attacks, you know, more just high profile, I guess I could say, attacks on democracy that we've seen in recent years and with the 2020 election for sure. And I and I want to come back to this idea that, you you know, as you mentioned, you're almost a decade old. Again, obviously, January 6th and, and all of what happens around the 2020 election gave people a better understanding about just how fragile our democracy is and what's at stake. Tell me why you 10 years ago kind of saw this as a critical place for you to be working on. What prompted you to found I Vote? Well, I have a life long, decades long of experience in working on campaigns and causes too, but a lot of campaigns for people who ran for president, Congress, and a few Senate. The part of the campaigns that I worked on was called Field, which is about organizing voters to vote. And, you know, your entire job when you do that, whether you be a field organizer or as I rose to be national field director for the Democratic Party, your entire job is trying to motivate people to vote. So I got very interested in participation and the problem that we had in the country. Like, why is it that so many people who are so impacted by who's president, who's senator, or who's their congressman don't vote? And the answers are complex. You know, people don't vote because they feel disconnected to the system. I won't write the book or read the book here today about why not enough U.S. Americans don't vote. But it is a problem. And then when I saw, because we're never really going to be a real democracy or completely representative democracy unless everyone voted, which is why I'm for universal voting, which is basically a system that other countries have where you're required to vote. I'm for that. But anyway, after spending my life trying to motivate people to vote, Around, I don't know the exact year, I started to notice in my work that members of the Republican Party were 
trying to stop certain people voting. Basically, they were trying to stop people from voting that they didn't think would vote for them. And it was pretty blatant when you were out there in the country in states like Ohio, Michigan, states with black populations where they were just wiping people off the registration rolls for bogus reasons and creating lines in inner city neighborhoods and all sorts of little techniques that made it harder to vote. People were starting to talk about it in the country. You know, we took a look at it and it was really happening a lot more commonly in some of the swing states, which later are the states that are important in presidential elections because as you know presidential elections in this country are normally very close and can be won by a state or two and so it seemed almost like a master strategy and instead of just screaming oh this is voter suppression we thought why don't we do something about it why don't we go on the offense there's all these things that you can do to increase voting 10 years ago automatic voter registration was not a thing it had not been invented yet Kate Brown from Oregon actually was the first person to pass automatic voter registration, which meant that the onus was on the government, not the citizen, to register to vote. And we saw a tremendous increase in turnout because if you make it easier to register, you make it easier to vote. It's too much of a multi-step process. So we thought, let's start an organization that fought for laws like that, early vote, automatic voter registration, and also for secretaries of state who would promote laws like that. So in 2013, when we started iVote, there were no secretary of states that were democratic in the country. None. That wasn't a coincidence. At the time, the Republican Party had targeted these offices as a way like I keep saying, it sounds like it sounds awful, but it actually is. They were using the office to stop certain people from voting. And we believe, and all the people that we support running for this office, the pro voting secretaries of state, we believe that every eligible citizen, whether they be Democrat, independent, or Republican, should be able to vote and it should be easy. There should be no interference in that, really. That actually a job of a good secretary of state. And I'll give an example. Jocelyn Benson is to increase participation. So after Jocelyn Benson won in Michigan in 2018, she went and visited the 99 precincts in her state that had the lowest participation to actually analyze and do a deep dive into why their people weren't participating and tried to figure that out, solve that problem, and tried to address the problem of low participation with her office, you know, the powers of her office. So it's not just that we're involved in campaigns for Secretary of State way before this entire idea of election denying candidates came out, which is what woke the public up. I know I'm talking forever, but I'm so, so, so passionate about voting. 
Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. And when I and I do want to just, you know, to the point you're kind of getting to, which is about kind of where we find ourselves today. Obviously, you may know Jocelyn Benson is also a New Deal leader. Uh, she heads our democracy project as well, co-chairs it. And, you know, we have a, a number of Secretary of States among New Deal ranks, including Steve Simon in Minnesota, and hopefully to be Adrian Fontes in, in Arizona. I know those are some of the states that you're targeting. Tell us a little about kind of your strategy this cycle and where you're spending your resources and and kind of what you're watching? Well, you know, we would love to be involved in every secretary of state race in the country, but we're not the Democratic Party. We're an outside group and we don't have an endless amount of resources. So we have to be very strategic with our resources, which are not nothing. We raised our budget was $15 million, but we're not able with that budget to go everywhere in the country. We are a pronounced swing state, secretary of state organization. We have said that from the beginning. So we are trying to work in in every swing state in the country just because it happens to have more impact. So this cycle, you know, we targeted five states to begin with, Georgia, Nevada, Arizona, Michigan, and Minnesota. We've really focused our resources because we needed a lot of resources on Michigan, Arizona, and Minnesota mm-hmm. in terms of full-fledged campaign. We've done lots of things all over the country to help all sorts of secretaries of state and all sorts of voting rights groups, but our main focus now are those states. If you have to be strategic, if you're doing something nationally because you don't have endless resources, you try to go where there would be the most impact, where there is the most voter suppression. And in this case, in this cycle, where the most dangerous candidates that could win are. The candidates that are running against the Democratic candidates in the states that I mentioned are dangerous for democracy. That's just putting it mildly. If you don't believe the election results from a free and fair election in 2020, where our secretaries had to figure out how to make sure everyone could vote in a pandemic, and they did an incredible job. The woman that we elected in Arizona, Katie Hobbs, who I vote, literally, we were the only people that believed that she could win the secretary of state race and coordinated with the party and ran a three and a half million dollar campaign. And then little, we knew it was important, but little did we know there was a pandemic coming and she was going to stand between all the people that saying that vote by mail was fraudulent when 85% of Arizonans vote by mail, they're on the permanent vote by mail list. And she has had to stand up every single day to a bunch of lies, frankly. Yeah. Because we see the candidate in Arizona as such a setback should he win for making sure that everyone can vote. If a candidate is telling you that after some real audits in Arizona, risk-limited audits done by professional auditors, and then fake audits done by business people that Republicans put in place, and no one found any evidence of anything wrong with the election, And the candidate is still telling you they wouldn't have certified that election because they believe it's fraudulent. They're making it up. If they're making it up, 
and they wouldn't have certified an election where the people of Arizona spoke. The will of the people was that Joe Biden should won that election. He won, not by a lot, but he won. And there hasn't been one piece of evidence that said that he didn't win or that there was anything fraudulent or that anybody voted fraudulent. And yet they still carry on. So if they're telling you that now, you know what they're telling you is that in the future, they don't care about if the voters speak. They care about what their thoughts are. And frankly, they're lying. So they're not basing anything in fact. They're using their platforms for propaganda. And so that we feel is very dangerous because you can't even have one election run by somebody that's not going to do it honestly. Yeah. And this is how we feel basically in a nutshell, that people like Fincham running on the GOP ticket in Arizona and Caramel in Michigan and Crockett in Minnesota are lying. They're not telling the truth. It's propaganda. And we feel they'll stop at nothing to have their own party, their own partisanship take over. They don't care about the will of the people, the Constitution, or the law. So if they'll stop at nothing, we have to stop them. Yeah, I get that. And I'm curious because, you know, I've heard you say, or seen you quoted as saying that, you know, even one of these, as you're kind of saying right now, would really cause a constitutional crisis if even one of these election deniers was elected in one of these swing states. Just for people's awareness, what does it look like? You're painting the picture about what they believe and the concern, right? That, you know, they will be people that don't believe that that they're going to would certify, you know, what was already a fair and honest election could do something in that position. But like, what do you think it actually looks like if an election denier gets into office this time? And for, you know, thinking about 2024, like, what would it look like? Well, they're telling us what it would look like. Fincham, he's the candidate in Arizona, just spent the last two years, even though, again, The state of Arizona did a risk-limited audit with a professional audit company as part of their law. And then the Republican Party decided to do their own what we're calling a fraud because it was not a real audit. And even they couldn't come up with anything. The results were legitimate. It was a free and fair election. And still, Fincham is saying it wasn't and that he wouldn't have certified the vote. He's basically telling you what his platform would be for 2024 should he win. The voters will vote. And whoever wins will win. And if the candidate that he's is not in his party, that he didn't prefer, doesn't win more votes with the people, he will just not certify the results. This is a level of partisanship and danger that we've really never faced in the country before. People willing to promote a lie to curry favor with Trump, basically. Most of these people are 100% aware, I believe, that the election was free and fair and free. I mean, it's just not based in any sort of fact. So if we have a close presidential election in 2024, like we usually do, and it comes down to a state, one state, which it has many times, 2000, Florida in 2004 came down to Ohio. And the person running the election is not going to go by the will of the people, you know, by who voted and who they vote, what they voted for, but is going to just decide that they're going to install their party's 
person as the winner, that's a danger and a situation that we haven't ever faced in this country. And basically, this is all coming to a head like this, right? Like the last two years, which have been basically totally nuts and chaotic, would only get a thousand times worse if one of these people win. Yeah. The country could easily be thrown into a constitutional crisis where the people that came to Washington on January 6th almost caused the peaceful transfer of power for the first time in this country's history. That's why Liz Cheney and the few Republicans that are willing to lose their seats in Congress and have spoken up are so alarmed. I mean, you couldn't ring the alarm bell hard enough right now. We have to stop these people and this idea that elections are to be manipulated for the and installing people that you want. We yeah. have to stay with free and fair elections. We have to. We don't have anything if we don't have that. Well, and first, so obviously I'm completely on board and I believe everything you just said. And lots of people that I know and everybody that you know believes that too. These races are still tied, right? <laughs> in in yeah. a number of these states. Right. Why is it? I've heard you say again, something about if given that you don't think people are willingly voting for you know, the, the disinformation is playing a role. Let me say that, right? What is it? And what do you think can be done about the fact that I would like to think that, if, you know, that everyone wants free and fair elections and that, you know, if you knew that you were voting for somebody who was out there saying, I don't care what the facts are, I'm just going to do what I think is right, that they wouldn't be voting for that person for secretary of state. But that's, you know, like I said, the polls are, these are, these are the races that are close that are tied in some states. Why is that? And what can we do about it? Well, first of all, we are doing something about it. So iVote is doing something about it, the organization that I lead, number one. Number two, mostly, even though it seems to us that everyone gets this and everyone is thinking about it, they're not. So people are not sitting around thinking about who runs their elections. More people are thinking about it than used to because of Trump trying to bribe Raffensperger and all the news media coverage. But it's still not something that's on the top of mind to most people. So that is why we have to communicate to voters about who these people really are and what they're really proposing and what they really stand for. And that is what iVote is doing with the funding that we've received. We are telling people, communicating with voters the truth about who these people are that are running for secretary of state. But you're also right in another regard, which is that, yes, once people are told all the facts and understand what the role of the secretary of state is and what the positions of the candidates, more people, a majority of people side with us. They think it should be disqualifying if you are part of the insurrection. They think that every eligible citizen should be able to vote. That's what democracy is. And let the chips fall where they may. Most Americans do believe in the value system that you expressed and that we're expressing and in democracy. They do. But you're right. There's a lot of disinformation out there. And there's also like low information out there. Even though people, journalists and people in politics are thinking about this every minute, everyone isn't thinking about this every minute. 
They're thinking about their life and their family. And we are trying to educate people about how important this office is and how important democracy is. And also to tell the truth about who's running and what their platform is. At iVote, we see a lot of our job as taking every dollar that comes in from the a lot of the grassroots support that we got in the country, which we've done very well with grassroots donations. We consider those donations sacred because we know why people are giving us the money. And we try to spend every dollar on communicating with voters the choice that they have and the truth about the candidates. And we think if we can get that message out and enough people are paying attention that the side of democracy and voters picking their leaders rather than leaders picking their voters will prevail. Because you are right, most Americans do want that. It's just not every American is paying as close attention to this as you and I. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I want to end with a, a question that's a little bit adjacent, if, if you will. I, I mean, I think this is so important and we're going to be watching and, you know, all of these secretaries of state races and it, it matters so much. And I just, you know, I hope, thank you for the work you're doing. And I hope that people really understand the stakes in these races. Mostly what New Deal does for a living is on the governing side of things. And a lot of our listeners are sitting elected state and local elected officials, the staffs and, and people who are following governing issues. So I know you mentioned automatic voter registration is one of the areas that you've worked on. Is there anything else that you would flag uh, for people who are actually in office currently that also you would hope to see in a country or in a state that is prioritizing, you know, voter participation and trying to suppress or trying to stop voter suppression? What are some of those other issues that you guys promote? I mean, honestly, 10 years ago, none of these things were being discussed and they were being manipulated by the Republicans to stop certain people from voting. But now I feel like everyone who is in this office for the right reasons or in this office because they want to make sure that everybody can participate is aware of the things that are do the most to help people vote, which is automatic voter registration is definitely the most important because it cuts out an entire step. And especially for young people, they're not going to go down to city hall and fill out a piece of paper to register to vote. Some of the voter registration deadlines are absurd. Three, four weeks before the election. I don't know. I have a 25-year-old daughter and I know a lot of her friends. And I'm telling you, they're not doing that. So automatic voter registration is a game changer. We proved that by running a four-year campaign in Nevada to pass it because you have to pass it twice there. And then Nevada last cycle after we passed it became the state with the highest increase in voter turnout, and it was directly a result of automatic voter registration. But there's early vote, right, where a lot of people, these are so no-brainers that I almost feel silly saying this, but the early vote, which is so critical because people are working, people are busy, and why do we have one day to vote, That one day that's a Tuesday? That just makes no sense more places to vote and more machines that are available. Obama came out with that report 10 years ago, or maybe 11, 12 years ago about reforms. Most of the good government people are working on these things. And things have gotten a lot better in a lot of states. You know, where you have a secretary of state like Jocelyn Benson or Steve Simon, turnout has increased. Lots of people were able to vote in a pandemic 
that wouldn't have been able to vote had they not been persistent and done everything that they could. So I'm not a government person. I am definitely a campaign strategist. But those things can be passed, you know, through the ballot, through the legislature. If you can't, if you don't have a friendly legislature who wants everyone to vote right now, there's something on the ballot in Michigan from promote the vote that has a eight step set of reforms that is really important to democracy. I would encourage people if they lived in Michigan to look that up and consider voting for things that will help more people vote. We have made a lot of progress in the country through the ballot, through legislatures, through secretaries of state that believe in voting. And hopefully we can get past this cycle, stop these election deniers in their tracks and continue to move forward because democracy will work in progress. It's not something that's done. You know, as I think Jocelyn Benson always points that out, and she's probably... I would say, like the top person in the country on this. And she's, as a leader, she's constantly pointing out that it's not over with. It's never over with. It's something that you have, we have to keep working at to improve and to make it better and to make it so that more people have access to voting, more people can vote so that we're a more representative democracy. Yeah. Well, amen to that, all of that. (laughs) Yeah. So thank you for what you're doing, even though it's not in what I do. It sounds like it's important. Yeah, well, I think both what you're doing to get the right people, you know, the people who are elected who are going to defend our democracy and then for us to help them with ideas that can continue to make sure that the, the democracy is secured, I think are both important. But thank you so much, Ellen. Very important. Yeah, thank you for what you're doing. Appreciate you being with us. And we will thank you. keep all of our eyes on all of these races come 13, 12 days from now. So thank you so yeah. much. Okay, hopefully we're going to win them all. Thank you. Have a good weekend. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to An Honorable Profession. Please subscribe to hear more amazing leaders. And keep asking your elected officials to be honorable. Boots Row Group produces podcasts. I'm Ryan Coonerty. And because we keep things honorable, no tax dollars were used in the making of this podcast.